nigga live right now, man. It's going down, excited for the season. You know, we coming off a playoff win. I mean, you know, we had a couple wins. Winning game four, at least pride-wise, made me feel good because you don't ever want to get swept. I'm indifferent to him, whether or not he signs it. I'll be uh, hitting Milwaukee for the next five years. If you ask me, can the Bucks win game five? I put it at 40% confidence, yes. To think that, that a season is championship or bust is is um, certainly not the way we've approached it. At this point, we don't know what's going to happen. You can get game six. You can steal it. Championship or bust. Winning game six and seven. Championship or bust. I don't think they're going to win the whole series, but... There is no enjoyment with this team. Hello and welcome to the Brew Hoop Podcast. I'm Adam Paris, co-managing editor of BrewHoop.com, joined as per usual by Riley Feldman and Kyle Carr on this merry, merry occasion of the Bucks making it to the their first NBA Finals berth since 1974. Fellas, how are we doing? Doing really good. If if we sound somber on today's podcast, it's because we are all up until like two or three a.m. in our respective time zones on Saturday night. And as much as you know, I wanted to rest on the Fourth of July. I didn't get to bed till like pretty late then too. So uh, you know, I, I'm happy about getting to the finals. My voice doesn't necessarily uh, belie that, but uh, I'm feeling pretty good this morning. Otherwise. Yeah, I'll say I sound more tired than normal. That's just because children are exhausting. Also being up way too late in the night celebrating and stuff. But there will still be enough pettiness. There will still be enough, you know, bashing of other people that we will still have the same jovial celebratory mood for that. So don't worry. Yeah, absolutely. It is. I would say it's a good thing we didn't record Saturday night. I would have had nothing coherent to say. My voice hurt. Quite a bit. Um, it w- it was the the Brew Hoop Twitter account was a joyous place. The Brew Hoop staff chat was a joyous ca- pl- occasion. Hopefully, everyone out there was able to enjoy their respective chats that they have with their friends uh, with this with this most momentous of occasions. Of course, the Bucks win Game Six, one eighteen, one hundred seven, led by Chris Middleton with thirty two points, four rebounds, seven assists. Drew Holiday twenty seven points, nine rebounds, nine assists. Obviously, this game seemed to turn in the third quarter. It was a pretty difficult watch through the first two quarters. Chris and Drew were turning the ball over like crazy. It was really frustrating. All of a sudden, Middleton breaks out of his slump. He erupts for 23 points in the third quarter. Basically gets them a commanding lead that the Hawks are are chip into, chip into. And then when it's a six-point game in the fourth quarter, Drew Holiday answers with, with a driving layup, which... If you notice this, he did attract Trey Young on the pick and roll, just so you know. So they the Bucks did attack Trey Young for anyone who said, oh, they're not doing anything for him. So Drew Holiday goes at him, has an amazing finish. From there, the Bucks hit a few more clutch shots, salted away. But uh, what did you think, Kyle, of the, the Bucks' answer in game six to close it out and, and just finally finish up this series? It was definitely one of those games where even throughout the whole, they get, the Bucks got off to a good start. And then the Hawks kind of climbed back into it. And it kept feeling like, okay, the Bucs are still doing just enough to make sure they can win this game. Like, at this point, I don't care how you win. It does not need to be by much. Just win. Win, get the hell out, get your trophy, get ready for the finals. That was always my mindset. So as the game was going on in the first half, it was a, okay, the Bucs can't hit shots again. Great. The, the Hawks seem to be doing a better job at making sure that, 
you know, Brooke and Bobby aren't getting as much as easy of paint touches as they did in game five. It felt as though, especially in the second quarter, as you mentioned, with Chris and Drew just turning the ball over left and right. And it got to halftime. It's like, OK, you didn't shoot the ball well. You haven't really played the style that you want and you're still winning. Clean up the turnovers and you'll make some shots. You can win this. It, you're right there. It's fine. And then Chris just went off. And that after that, he went on like, what, a 16-2 run by himself. It was just one of those where it felt very similar to game four, not game four, game three where the Bucks needed a spark and he provided scoring 23 points. And all of a sudden in this game that was, you know, within four or five points throughout the whole time turns into damn near 20 points when it was like when Chris was all said and done, it was like, okay, now I feel a lot better. And just how he went about it, he didn't do anything differently. He just, he picked the shots, he hit the shots that he needed to, he picked the shots that he wanted to take and just kept draining it and, you know, not turning the ball over and Milwaukee being able to get a couple stops as well. It was just very much a Chris decided I'm going to end this series right here, right now. Kind of like in game three, he was like, I'm just going to win this game. I'm going to do it. Give me the ball. I'm going to score. And kind of felt the same way in game six, which was good because as the Hawks kind of started the quarter, absolutely hot. It was like you built that lead. And that's kind of been the thing for the whole series is the team that jumped out to an early lead in the first quarter ended up winning the game other than game three. So the fact that Chris was able to go on that run and give Milwaukee the lead that they needed, it didn't matter what Cam Reddish was able to do for Atlanta. It didn't matter that Bogdan was able to hit three. Like, it didn't matter what the Hawks were able to do. They had already dug themselves in that hole, and it was too deep for them to get out of. So Chris, another great game six performance. Yeah, he could have been better in the first half, but you know what? If you're going to do that in the second, in the third quarter specifically, I don't care. Like, if you only show up for one quarter for the rest in the finals – that's fine because that one quarter is still going to provide 20-something points. I'm looking at the box score right now. Uh, I think what was most impressive about the last two games, so Giannis goes down. We didn't record a podcast. It was good because had we recorded the night of, we'd be like, that's it. The franchise is over. Let's move to Seattle. Then we find out that Giannis is like, oh, I just need some icy hot. Am I? Which is awesome. We'll talk about that a little bit as well. Um, but I think the Bucks went wire to wire in both game five and game six. I think they won eight quarters in a row, which, as you told me, prior to even the season, in the season, prior to the playoffs, prior to game five, that the Bucks would somehow rally. I'd be like, come on really the Milwaukee Bucks are going to find a way to rally and win eight quarters, four of them being on the road. Um, so first off salute to the mental fortitude of the team and especially Drew and Chris, uh, Brooke Lopez big in both games, but in game six in particular, um, I, how funny is it? Drew holiday. We have all the net series where for the most part, he was in the clutch games, pretty awful. And in this, for whatever reason, he still takes 12 three-pointers, but there were so many more attempts where like, oh, I'm just going to drive towards the basket because like either Trey or God bless Bogdan, not really, but like they throw Bogdan on him. He's like, okay, I'm just going to obviously eat this guy alive. And he did. And you know what? That's a lot more easy offense that I would prefer to see from Drew heading forward. So I think... Uh, it could have easily been a, a situation where Drew's like, well, I'm going to keep calling my own number from three. Or like Chris is like, I'm just going to take a whole bunch of tough shots. And Chris does take tough shots, but he's adept at making them and he didn't shy away from taking them. And then it kind of goes down the rest of the roster, right? Like everybody else had contributions. Brooke Lopez, 
uh, big on both ends, bunch of rebounds, uh, hits a three. P.J. Tucker, awful from three all game, hits the dagger. You have to be ready to take the shot if you're going to be the role player corner three guy. He did that. Bobby, uh, he didn't produce point-wise as he did in game five, but um, early buckets to get the team going, like Kyle said, to get off to the early start with the lead, that's good. Pat Connaughton continues to prove all the haters wrong. I think he had like 13 points and eight rebounds. Um, and even Jeff Teague, this was the Jeff Teague game. I think he had like 11 points in 12 minutes. Marcus Johnson was gassing him up in game five. Like I'm loving what I'm seeing from Teague, even though Teague is just awful in all the minutes he was out there. So it's just game six was, yes, the most notable thing was Chris scoring all those points in the third quarter. But it, what you needed when your superstar goes down is a holistic team performance from the coaching staff on down. And for the most part, we got that. And if you're going to get that, that you're probably a deserving team to punch your ticket to the Eastern or to whatever to the NBA Finals. I mean, hell, if Jeff Teague can give you good minutes, you you deserve to make the NBA Finals. Because good lord, that dude was washed and awful. I even said going into Game Six, don't play this dude. And then Jeff Teague goes in, and I'm like, God damn it, why are you playing this dude? And it was like, oh, okay, he shut me the hell up. Good for him. Goodbye. <laughs> It was so funny with the Jeff Teague minutes because he first went out there for a couple minutes. I'm like, okay, Bud's getting silly. Fine. He also had four personal fouls in 12 minutes of play, which is the Nasus-esque number rate of fouling there. But then, like, the Jeff Teague minutes kept going. I was like, whoa, Bud is, like, doing a lot of Jeff Teague minutes right now. And you know what? To his credit, he was plus one after all those minutes. So it goes to show what we know. Man. It, I couldn't believe it when he started hitting the threes, but I mean, God, God love him. Someone needed to be able to hit threes on that night because it was, it was torturous for the early parts of the game. 19 of 21 from the free throw line. Also big Bobby Portis, obviously, like you said, not as, as huge of a game in terms of scoring points, but six of six from the free throw line for a guy who isn't necessarily shooting 90% or whatever. He also had a really crazy assist in the first quarter when he like got the ball on the baseline and passed it up to Brooke Lopez for an alley-oop, which was like Bobby, facilitator Let, let's get let's get let's go baby um mm-hmm. trey young comes back for this game obviously with the with the bone bruise that's that's the real huge biggest difference for atlanta from game five to game six obviously it's also on atlanta's home court he ends up shooting four of 17 from the field 14 points oh of six from three the hawks really were basically in this game because Cam Reddish, who shoots 26% from three-point land in the regular season, a career sub-30% shooter, shoots six of seven from three, does not stop talking the entire time he's on the court. And somehow the Bucks are still able to pull it out. This this had like all of the makings of, oh, okay, here's the Van Fleet game. Here's the, here's the ex-role player coming through for the other team. And, and I think, like you said, Riley, it just goes to show the resiliency of this team that, okay, we can survive that. We can, we can stem the tide and we're at least going to have timely contributions from a few different players that in the past might've been just donuts, but instead we get a clutch three from Tucker. We get Teague hitting a few, we get even Bryn Forbes hit at least one, three, right? He hit one, three. You needed that from him. You needed every point. Now that, that was really nice to see for them to be able to to stave off whatever it was the Hawks were going to be able to muster, even with a, a Trey Young who didn't certainly didn't look quite as spry as he did in the early part of the series. Now I'm looking, so I'm looking at some of the other uh, players for the Hawks in particular, Kevin Herter. 
I have to listen all year and for multiple years now about how, uh, you know, what a huge mistake of the Bucks to not pick Kevin Herter. And to be fair, I think we were going to pick him or something. We were like, we were trying to do the subterfuge to like try and switch spots, whatever. Dante's not out there, so I have no idea. I have no track record to say Dante did this while Kevin Herter did this. But this guy who's supposed to be a sharpshooter, the second coming of Christ himself, uh, a.k.a. Uh, Kyle Korver, he shoots for the series 34% from the floor overall and 26% from three. This dude's Joe Harris reborn, apparently. I don't know what it is about the Bucks on this run and the like white sharpshooters for the other team can't make shots all of a sudden. But I, I'm really glad that we have this weird voodoo energy going around the team uh, that, <laughs> for whatever reason, we get bailed out that the sharpshooter for the other team doesn't make any shots. Uh, Bogdan had similar issues. The only other guy that really consistently gave us problems was um, John Collins. And he was, it, it kind of always feels like uh, empty calories with his offense. And a lot of it was some BS shot making. Like the amount of games in this series where it was like, there's just a lot of BS shot making going on for Atlanta. And that is a skill. But at a certain point, even when Giannis goes out, it's like so much of the shot making was bad shot attempts and it wasn't necessarily even because Giannis was the one guarding them there was a lot of like Danilo Gallinari tough shots there were a lot of John Collins tough shots um there was a good amount of Trey Young tough shots but he's obviously good enough to like justify taking the shots so it just felt like even with all the contributions we got from the Bucks the defense was strong enough and Atlanta's shot profile was weak enough where those two forces even without Giannis help propel us where you can go in even you lose your start pretty confident that you can still figure something out because there's enough wherewithal with the rest of the team to make it happen yeah and i mean this was the series that if you're gonna lose Giannis, okay fine like you are still better than i don't remember there was a tweet out there was like the fact that bucks fans are expecting like drew and chris to like win these games is like a little bit ridiculous like well no drew and chris should be the second and third best players if not the third and fourth best players in this series and then with Trey Young and Giannis being out, they should be one and two. There should not, like, no Atlanta Hawks should be better than these two guys. Like, it should not happen. It didn't happen, which was a good thing. But, I mean, Cam Reddish, I think he set, like, a franchise record for most, like, bench threes in a game, which, of course, that's <laughs> what that's going to happen. I was like, yeah, of course, that sounds about right. I mean, Kevin Herter, I get, I mean, he just couldn't hit any shots, which, hey, we were due for that. After Nikola Miritich being an absolute no-show, in 2019, the Bucks earned this at least. Maybe not two series in a row, but damn it, they still deserve it. I honestly, they, I, I looked up yesterday. I was like, did Teague make more threes than Miritich ever did in the playoffs in that run? And it wasn't even close. Miritich made like 22. But I, wa- <laughs> I was thinking at the time, I was like, Teague might have made more. That's how bad Miritich was. Did Teague make mm-hmm. more in the Eastern Conference Finals mm-hmm. than Miritich? That is a good question. That is the question to ask because I f- I'm sure Miritich had a bunch when they were playing like Detroit and Boston and a bunch of scrubs. Mm-hmm. Like obviously mm-hmm. when you're playing scrubs, you're gonna things are going to go a little bit better. But yeah, Trey Young wasn't 100%. It was very clear that he wasn't 100%. Like he was not, he was not as mobile. He was not attacking the rim and throwing up as much floaters as he normally would his three-point shot was just i mean he's not he's not really a great three-point shooter anyway but him chucking six threes and missing all of them he just wasn't right and i get that he wanted to play i get that he wanted to try his best to make sure but i i don't know no i don't think it would have made a difference if he had played or not but i do wonder like how atlanta would have distributed the offense it probably would have just been more gallo 
fadeaways on Pat Connaughton, which thank you, Gallo. If you want to think that it's your time to shine, you go ahead and think that, you bum. Go ahead. You can't live on the free throw line like you did, but it was... I think the difference was Milwaukee's role players stepped up when they needed to, and Atlanta's role players did not. You know, Pat Connaughton continues to make me realize how wrong I was about that contract. He is playing to the level of that contract, which is good. He hits timely threes in the corners in the fourth quarter. You know, P.J. Tucker, God, he missed every open corner three you can ask until the last (laughs) one. But you know what? He still hit the damn three that you absolutely Mm -hmm. needed. Like, he hit that shot. Meanwhile, you know, John Collins and Clint Capella, they couldn't get going on offense. Brooke Lopez was completely dominant. I mean, he more or less played Okongwu off the floor, who had been playing very well in the prior games going into it. You know, even, hell, Bryn Forbes, I said, if you can't hit shots, you were you you kind of were absolutely useless. But you know what? In the 10 minutes, he still went and got two rebounds. He still hit a three. He got a drive layup. He did, he did everything else that you needed from a player besides the one thing we literally pay him money to do. But it's fine. So good on Brid Forbes. I mean, hell, Thanasis even played less than a minute and didn't get a foul. So that's a minor miracle in itself. It's just that Milwaukee's role players did everything they needed to. And I think that's a testament to the players themselves. I think that's a testament to Bud. Bud has done a very good job in this last series and overall this postseason of I need to make an adjustment and the adjustment pays off. Like he needed to make a change. It worked. So if Bud can continue finding ways to see, maybe things don't go well. Like in game one, obviously Milwaukee was playing with his food, whatever. They figured it out. After game four, when Giannis goes down, he figures out how do I make sure to let Chris and Drew realize they need to step up. And I don't know what he said. I don't know what the plan was, but it worked. The The other thing that jumped out in this was, so in that fourth quarter, the Bucks go into the fourth quarter. I think they had like a 19-point lead or something close to that. And then, of course, they're the Milwaukee Bucks. It couldn't go any other way. The guy would be like, what if we just let them in, <laughs> in this game? And we weren't even like, we had like most of the starters out there. I think um, Drew was out for a little bit or something, but otherwise it was most of the starters. Uh, in the past, I would be like, well, of course, we're going to give up the full 19-point lead and then lose this game. And yet, um, like you said, Adam, Drew steps up that the the basket he made the land he made to push it from six back up to eight points with like two ish minutes left I mean it was a BS basket I was like I can't believe he made that shot of all the shots he's taken so far this series um but it goes back to the difference between having a Drew Holiday out there versus an Eric Bledsoe where Eric would play himself out or if he did get up the courage to take a shot. It would be like a stupid shot. He would like kind of walk in, step back out, take a stupid three. I'm like, that's not your shot. Um, Drew Holiday is not like a superstar by any stretch of the imagination, but he's intelligent and confident enough and skilled enough um, to be able to take those shots when you need them most. And I think that's a big reason why game five and game six went our way, where if it was in years past and we had (laughs) Giannis goes down and it's the Chris and Eric show, I'm like, we might as well just pack up the bags and we would be moving to Seattle. Like, let's just get out of here. We don't need to deal with this. So uh, credit to Drew. And again, it just the gamble, that reckless trade, as Kyle likes to bring up all the time. Turns out it wasn't super reckless. The Bucks, yes, a lot of the dice went their way, things like that. But uh going to the finals and a lot of that is because we upgraded the point guard position and lo and behold that worked out for us drew upped his aggression a crazy amount in this one in the fourth quarter obviously he has that lay-in i believe he also he also has he pushes the pace 
and is able to get Brook Lopez a dunk shortly after that, I believe, to extend the lead. Um, him and Chris do some sort of two-man game that eventually leads to the Tucker three. I can't remember who exactly made the pass, but it was basically like Drew Holiday and Chris Milton creating that. Uh, he might have created the, the, the Connaughton corner three as well. Uh, and then defensively, I mean, the whole game, he was absolutely up in everyone's grill. I can't remember which quarter it was, but there at one point someone was just dribbling ball and he just – he just like reached his hand in and just stole it from that. Like he he was, he was dominating them on a physical level defensively that I, I don't feel like we had even, we, we've seen him be aggressive. We've seen him be physical defensively, but th- these last two games, I thought he took it to a whole other level. Uh, and I mean, he gets five personal fouls, but he, he works with every one of those fouls. Like he's a smart enough player, Bud leaves him in, lets him play 42 minutes, doesn't get the the fear of him picking up another foul. I think that's another thing that Bud did a, a better job of this series is, okay, even if my stars are getting fouls, I can't really afford to take them out. I need to trust them to be able to, to make the right decisions. And um, Drew Holiday and Chris Middleton absolutely delivered. Brooke Lopez, plus 25 in this game. Uh, let's talk as well about his, his game five performance. I mean, Kyle, the guy with skying in goes for 33 points. A, a lot of his shots are created by other players, but also is just as huge on the defensive end. I, I don't I don't think you can say enough about what he gave this team, um, both from an offensive production standpoint and then also being able to switch one through five in games five and six. The game five was the best Brook Lopez game I've ever seen from Brook Lopez. He was just an absolute monster on both ends. He was blocking shots left and right. He's dunking everything. I mean, a lot of it was good setup from Drew Holiday, who had, I think, like 12 assists that game. And I'm pretty sure seven of those assists was just dump it to Brooke and Brooke just dunked it on some dude. Like it was just a constant, just a barrage of just like bludgeoning the Hawks over and over and over. And it's kind of funny because we've seen what Brooke Lopez was going in. Like when he comes into Milwaukee, like he's this big guy that can shoot that I was on the Lakers. And I was like, okay. And then he shoots really well in 2019. I'm like, okay, cool. We have a sharp shooting big man. Like, cool. That's great. And then the shots were falling, and then it wasn't until Game 6 against Toronto where it's like, oh, yeah, this guy's bigger than most of the players on his court. Let's get him down low, give him the damn ball. And then last year, it was kind of the same thing. It was just a lot of Brook Lopez trailing threes, which it is a nice thing for him to do, but it should not be his primary offensive role. Like I think what we saw this year in the postseason was Brook Lopez being able to shoot is nice. Brooke Lopez should not be focused on solely shooting the ball. Like if you're going to have Brooke Lopez and be the offensive focal point, it needs to be get his big ass down in the paint and let him bully everyone around them. And that's what Milwaukee decided to do in game five. It was just over and over and over. And he didn't, like I said, in game six, he didn't have as much of a chance to do it, but he still got the timely alley-oops. I mean, that the one in the fourth quarter that drew through, I was like, I was the second I saw it go up in the air. I was like, you know what? I'm not even worried because with how Brooke Lopez has been playing, he will find a way to get that ball and dunk it. And what did he do? He gets the ball and dunks it right on them. And that was probably that's when I was like, okay, I think the Bucks got it. I think that that was when I was finally like, they this team has got it. They find a way to do it. And Brooke Lopez finding a way and defensively, I think Budenholzer said like, yes, it's going to be uncomfortable. Like, you are going to have to switch one through five. I'm going to challenge you to do it because that's what we need to do to win. And whether it was Lou Williams or Trey Young or even Bogdan, like, none of those guys. Like, there are a few times where they, well, the attack, like, the ball handler would blow past him. 
yeah, that was a few times what happened. Sometimes Brooke wouldn't be able to recover to at least contest the shot, but sometimes it led to a layup. But he did not get as exposed as we have seen in the regular season. Like in the regular season when they were doing this, there were times where Brooke Lopez was completely screwed and left an aisle and there was a miscommunication somewhere. And in games five and six, that wasn't the case. I don't know if it's just better, just more concentration. I don't know if it was just something that it finally worked. I don't know if just the communication was better. But yeah, Brooke Lopez did not get isolated and cooked like he did in the regular season with the switching. And I think that was probably one of the biggest. And I think that threw the Hawks off in game five and in game six made things more difficult for a not 100% Trey Young. So good job, Brooke. You're probably going to need to do the same thing. And now you actually have a big on the other team that has similar size as you. So good luck. But this is when we're talking about, like, it kind of comes back to, like, with all these players that we give these large contracts to, this is what we expect for them. Like, when we gave Chris the contract, we wanted the game five and then the third quarter game six performance when we gave Drew the, the extension, we wanted to see what we saw from these couple games and most of this Atlanta series. That's why we we made the pay. That's, that's why you get the contract. With Brooke Lopez getting the new one, that's why you get the contract. Like These are the guys that you needed to step up, and this, these are the guys that you justifiably are going to pay a bunch of money for for the next couple of years for moments like this. I like to imagine the aftermath of game four. <clears throat> Giannis goes down. Everybody's a little desolate. We don't know what's happening. And Budenholzer's like, God, how am I going to save my job now? And he's looking through the locker room and he's like, holy crap. Brooke Lopez is huge. He's like, hey, that guy's got <laughs> That guy probably weighs 150 pounds more than literally anybody on the Hawks. He's like, what if we just... This is crazy, but what if he just like tried to score near the hoop and then it worked? Those are my favorite kinds of adjustments where it's like that big ass dude. What if he just, what if he was just bigger than everybody else and we did that? Um, and you know what? There is a skill as we've seen with so many, the, the like ability to grab a pass by a big man feels like a little bit of a lost art these days. The number of dudes where it like just falls off their hands, Giannis included. Uh, yeah. In the, the I mean, we went through a game. lot of years of Thon Maker. Yep. Not being able to catch <laughs> yes. So, so, I mean, and I think that's like just an issue across the league. So Brook Lopez, there is a skill in getting passes and being able to just go right up with it or make a move with the pass um, or with the ball, I should say to score. Uh, so yes, everything that Kyle said, a hundred percent correct. Uh, I understand why Brooke Lopez trails because he's not quick enough to be like a Bobby where he just sprints out sprints everybody to the dunker spot. And also it, it is nice to be able to drag like a defender out if Yams is going to try and take advantage of like an unsaid defense right away. So I understand why we don't post Brooke all the time, but it is a nice option for some easy offense. So we'll see if we go ahead with that uh, in the future against the Suns. But in game five, I think the starters scored like 113 of 123 points. So like almost every point comes through the starters. Uh, that's what you need when your superstar goes down. You go home, you're like, well, we need to rally somehow. And then the guys that you rely on the most, including Bobby Portis, who gets inserted and scores 22 points, uh, it wasn't just broke. It was pretty much everybody. PG Tucker played his like side role, but he got a whole bunch of rebounds. So uh, sparked by Brooke, but everybody played super well in game five. And that's what you needed because if we gone and lost that game, oh my God, there's so many like revolving doors to this team. And I'm just glad we picked the door where we go to the finals and don't have to deal with all the other issues. Yeah. And let's talk about any, anything else specifically from game six 
that you guys want to shout out? I'm looking here. Uh, I'm looking here. This is why single game offensive rating, defensive rating is hilarious. Jeff Teague with a 191 offensive rating. Thanasis with a negative 10 defensive rating. How is it possible to have a negative defensive rating? Like, that means he was so good that the team, the opposing team lost points or something. Uh, so, uh, yeah, that's good stuff, I guess. I don't think I have anything left out of game six. I. Uh, I think everyone we talked about, we've covered. I will personally apologize for Jeff Teague for saying he was a bum and should not have been playing. I will apologize to Bryn Forbes for saying he is completely useless. And I will continue to apologize to Pat for saying he didn't deserve his contract. So those are three apologies I will make. And you know what? What a reckless trade for Drew Holiday. But goddamn, it's working, isn't it? So reckless. We, uh... I'm not sure Jeff Teague has proven that he's not a bum yet. I think, you know, it's the broken clock right twice a day. He plays sort of like an idiot, though. Like some of the the shot types, the way he handles the ball, I'm like, what is Jeff Teague doing out there right now? It's very, it's a little bewildering because everybody else is so locked in, like the flow of the offense. I'm like, oh, I'm confident you're going to make the right decision, Drew or Chris or whoever. And then Jeff Teague is out there. I mean, it's calling a lot of his own number that... I really, it's bewildering. You know, I had said going in, just get to the effing finals, and Jeff T did enough, so I'll give him an apology. That's true. Every- he- <laughs> yeah. Get to the finals is always like, after Giannis went down, I was like, I don't care how they do it. Just win these two games. I don't care. Just do it. Don't- find a way. Just do it. And they did. So good on Jeff T for contributing in a positive way for that. Mm-hmm. Well, it's got to be sure. kind of weird for him. He's like, okay. Bud's like, all right, T, go out there. You play the point guard. We know Drew doesn't really like to play point guard or whatever. And he's like, all right, sounds good. Coach, I'm going to hold the ball for about 20 seconds here, really try and set up the offense, make sure we really got something flowing. No, no need to pass it to Chris Middleton. It's okay. He doesn't need to touch this possession. I got this. Mm -hmm. But kudos to him. I mean, he hates in threes. Was there anything post-game that stood out? There were The interviews were, I don't know, they, they were fine. I enjoyed Bud getting like, kind of excited doing a half-hearted woo at the uh, at the podi- post-game podium and then like kind of stopping mm-hmm. midway through it. Um, mm-hmm. I enjoyed the, the post-game video inside the locker room where Bud said, we're going to the NBA effing finals, um, was mm-hmm. made me quite happy because I feel like I never hear Bud like that. And that was, uh, that was enjoyable to see the normally uh, stone-faced coach get a little excited. I, w- I would say it was nice seeing... Chris and Drew kind of be the first ones to get the trophy because it was big uh, because they were like the two that like got Milwaukee over the finish line. So to see them be the first ones to get it, like I would have expected, you know, Giannis to get it. I would have expected, you know, maybe even Budenholzer to hold it first. But it, like the fact that those two got it, I was like, okay, this is at least it's like this team just recognized like what it took to get there. And I mean, all the pictures of them, like different different players is holding even like Sam Merrill having trench gang as a hashtag of the trophy. <laughs> I was just kind of laughing at because I was like, you know what? I'm sure you guys knew you didn't do anything, but you were ready. You had this moment and damn it. Like good on you guys for enjoying this as much as you can. Like take full advantage of it, <laughs> but it did make me laugh. I was just like trench gang. I was like, what trench? Like what, what is the trenches? Like you're not out here. <laughs> It just, made, the, the, it just made me laugh. And it was Sam Merrill of all dudes. It's like this white Mormon just like saying trench gang. It's just like, what? <laughs> yeah. The trench is what they call the second row of 
seats at the bench that you're like, yeah, we're in the trench gang, aka we're not even near, like physically near the court at all, which is why they call themselves the trench gang, I assume. Uh, my favorite things were uh, Chris and Giannis embracing, uh, you know, it's very cliche. I know, like there was the story, was it right after or like right before Chris signs the uh, contract extension or the, whatever, the max extension, and it was like, oh, yeah, like me and Giannis, we're not like buddy-buddy. Like we respect each other. We're teammates, all that. Uh, and it's, it's always been kind of like a strange, feels like to me sort of a strange environment because Chris doesn't strike me as like the buddy-buddy guy with almost anybody besides Eric. But to see those guys, you know, all this crap they've had to play through, uh, you know, questions about whether or not they could coexist amongst each other, or whether or not they were even good. And uh, they share that moment together uh, in a nice, you know, long hug, I'm sure. All the freaking think of eight years of doing all this basketball BS and you finally get to the summit. I mean, that's a lot to have to overcome uh, just mentally. And then also my other favorite part was uh, the team photo after the fact in the locker room. Jeff Teague looks like he wishes he was literally anywhere else on planet Earth than in that locker room. And then also, shout out to you, Mark Lazary sneaking in on the side of the picture. Where's Wes Edens? He's not getting an invite to the <laughs> to the post-game locker room, apparently. So uh, governorship has its uh, perks, and he's like, I'm going to be in the photo that commemorates us getting to the finals because really it was my decisions that got us here. So salute to you, Mark Lazary, for sneaking in into the picture yeah it's kind of funny because you would think wes edens would be like see that gm i hired you you, you, you see i fucking told you so that gm mm-hmm. look at look at the shit he did look at that mm-hmm. that was all me what did you do nothing I, I this is all me like this all happened i can see wes edens doing that because even peter fane was there it was like okay did wes edens just like decide you know what i'm too good for this or i don't think they're gonna win game six i'll show up for game seven like where what yeah where was he Where's, where's Jamie Dynan? What what good is Jamie Dynan? That, I think that's the question I need to find out in the offseason. Where's Aaron Rodgers? Why isn't he the supporting the team? Come on. Does that mean he's not getting out of Green Bay? We'll discuss more on Acme Packing Company when we come back. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. We never talked really. We never obviously did not record after the Giannis injury. Um, we didn't feel – we don't feel responsible for it. Right I know there's a lot of people who would feel like we jinxed it. But anyway – we, we were thankfully avoided that. It was a really dark place. What, what, I mean, just in general, Riley, you see him go down. You're, we're waiting the whole day. And then to see the team respond after that. I mean, like, give us a, a walkthrough of your emotions. So I was spared watching him hyperextend his knee because I like looked away from the screen for a minute or two. And then I turned back and he's on the ground. And you know Giannis. This guy ends up on the ground with like, oh, God, some sort of like weird injury and what it feels like once every three to four months so i was like okay he did the thing where like he stepped weird he like rolled an ankle or something he kind of walked gingerly off the court but he, he was still getting help by Thanasis. So like okay whatever and then everybody i mean everybody was freaking out on twitter i was like oh it must have been like a way worse thing that happened and i don't think i saw any of the replays i'm not the type who actively searches out injury replays i'm just gonna avoid that if i can um I don't know. I kind of, everybody else's reaction was getting me down, but I felt pretty confident that he might be okay because I know like people would be like, I tore my ACL, my MCL and my LCL. And I still ran a marathon after the fact. I'm like, okay, I mean, I guess maybe it's bad. Um, But when the news came across and then they were like, oh, no structural damage. So just waiting on some swelling. It was like, wow, 
that what a morale boost all day you're down you're like not only are we going to crash out right before the finals, but then we're going to lose a whole year where I have to watch this stupid team about Giannis. <laughs> like I can't, I can't put myself through that. And then we come all the way back. The wind was immediately in my sails and like anything is possible. If Giannis can survive some sort of thing and it's just like, I need some icy hot and I'm good to go. Anything is possible for this team. So I think what a 180 whiplash we've been through so many this series where basketball death has stared us right in the eyes. He sat, death sat down at the other end of the table and was like, let's have a staring contest. And time after time after time, death was the one who blinked first. It could be the Nets beating Kevin Durant with his foot on the line. It could be Giannis's injury. It could be coming out and winning two games without Giannis. Like we've just, we've overcome the odds so many times on this run that it felt natural for Giannis to like look like he might have ripped everything in his knee and be like, I'm actually okay. <laughs> yeah, for me, because I saw it in real time and I was like, okay. And the fact that, like, Giannis was, like, grunting that much in pain, I was like, oh, this is bad. Like, this is not good. Because normally it's like, yes, Giannis, like, goes down. He just needs, like, a moment to, like, recollect himself, Mm -hmm. like, sometimes. But he was just laying there clutching his knee. I was like, oh, fuck. And this was right when the Bucs were making a comeback. Like, after the god-awful first half, they they, they got their shit together to make a comeback. I'm like, okay, cool. Things are going well. Like, Bucks are going to get back into this. They're going to steal game four. They're going to go home, winning five. Great. Cool. And then Giannis gets hurt. like, oh, God. Yeah, this isn't great. And, like, it was it was just the fact that Giannis himself looked like this is not good. So the fact that Giannis was like, I was like, oh, this is bad. And then right after, he gets off the court and it's like, yeah, he's gingerly walking away. I was like, he doesn't look good. He he, he I think Giannis even knows, like, I don't know if I can do this. <laughs> And the fact that Jan, and then he still tries to make his way back to the bench. And I was like, do not put this guy in. Do not put mm-hmm. him back in. He is not okay. Like, I don't know how bad it is. Like, maybe it is just like throw some ice hot, but he cannot play the rest of this game. Like, it is mm-hmm. not good. Like, he looks, he does not look great. And then the Bucks allow that giant run and things just snowball and then they lose game four in the ugliest way. And I stopped watching after freaking Clint Capella throws that goddamn circus shot over the backboard. And it was like, you're playing a game of horse. And I was like, <laughs> Yep, this seems about right. This is the type of game that's going to be, and then it's just sitting here and waiting. And I had I just went with the assumption that like maybe it's not a full on ACL tear, but he is out for the postseason. Like I just gone in with the he's not playing the postseason. It was that bad. I don't know if it like if it is like a torn ACL. Maybe it's like a sprain of some type, but he's not coming back. There's no way that looked bad. And then every freaking Twitter doctor had to go in and say, oh, yeah, it's, it's going to be this. And some dude, some bum over in L.A. is like, oh, yeah, sources fear like they fear it's an ACL tear. It's like, no, well, no shit. They fear it yeah. because everyone feared it. Those sources are my sources, a.k.a. my imagination. <laughs> you fucking loser. Get off of Twitter. We should we need to hunt that guy down and we need to shame him for trying. All he was doing was grifting. He was grifting nope. <laughs> clout off of injury. How sick do you have to be to do that? I mean, not Shame the on only one. Not the only one that Griff Cloud on. Like, then we had people on Buck's Twitter saying, oh, yeah, it's not that bad. Like, someone, like, posted a picture of the Gnosis and a freaking, like, sh- pick and save over in the flower section. And everyone's like, oh, my God, it's that bad. It's like, no, he just got flowers because <laughs> some homie of his had a baby. It's like, see, this is – no one knows shit. No one knew anything. Stop acting like you knew stuff. Stop acting like you had this predictive thing. It's like just – they have the gut, and that's why I was like, I just need to get off this goddamn app because everybody mm-hmm. thinks they know what's going on. No one knows what's going on, and then I find out, oh yeah, it, it's fine. Like no structural damage. Like good enough, 
cool. He might not play this postseason, but it's not a torn ACL. Even if the Bucks crash out, I'll be back here next year because I'm I'm a sucker for that. It's a toxic relationship. And when I was like, oh yeah, he might he might play Game Seven. I was like, how about we just don't go to Game Seven? Mm-hmm. Yeah, like let's just avoid Game Seven at all costs. And especially after they won Game Five, and I was like, okay, well. Trey Young's probably coming back in game six. If the Bucs win, if the Bucks lose, like Giannis will be back in games. I was like, no, end the shit right now. We I don't want a game. I don't want Giannis putting himself through that risk. Do not do anything stupid. Just win this dumb series and move the fuck on. Like just win. And that's what I felt. And I don't know how Giannis does it. I don't know what his body is made of, but I'm pretty sure this is like the fourth like significant injury where we thought oh this is actually this is the injury this is it like this is i think the fourth time because last year he had that knee injury before everything locked down then he has his ankle and then he has his knee again right now it's like i don't know what maybe this is just like how he's built but i feel like this is we're we're playing with fire at this point with Giannis. (laughs) um before you get to your impressions adam have there been or has there ever been a more joyous listing of somebody as doubtful in Milwaukee Bucks history than the tweet comes out? So like the news comes out, whoa, Zach Lowe, they're like, oh, no structural damage. And then the Bucks tweet like Giannis is doubtful for game five. I'm like, have I ever been more happy to see just doubtful <laughs> for game five? It's so funny. I think that's so funny that that was, you know, after all that hand wringing and it was like, ah. Eh, he might not play in game five was the update. That's good stuff. What did you think, Adam? Um, I, I went dark. I was like, 2022 pick. Thank <laughs> God we still have that. Like, what a great move by Horst. And I mean, I was like, you know, if we just have Chris and Drew, like we'll kind of only be in the middle. Might be worth just selling them off, seeing what we can get for them and like really rebuild for, a you know, with guys Giannis's age, a little younger. These guys aren't in their prime. And it'll be fine. Like next year, it'll be tough, but then we'll move forward with Giannis. Um, and that said, no structural damage. And I was like, well, I don't care what happens for the rest of the playoffs. Like we're playing with house <laughs> money. Like I don't really need us to win anymore. Uh-huh. Like this yeah. is probably the biggest moment uh, I could ever have. So I was totally, I was just, I was overjoyed. It feels like we've had, it feels like we have had, I've had, we've had more victories this postseason. That Giannis not getting injured honestly probably felt better to me than several of our round one series wins the last couple of years. So this is this was just joyous to see, and I, I just awesome to see the team respond. Given you know I, I went in with no expectations for game five or game six. I, I wanted them to win. I as it got closer, I was like, okay, well it would be. I guess I could. I guess I would like us to win. It would be kind of nice if we go to the finals. Mm-hmm. It's not necessarily all house money, but. Using that using that approach mentally clearly didn't jinx the team and allowed them to perform well on the court. So that, it was just awesome to see. I'm so glad to see Giannis out on the sidelines. It was cool to hear people after the game, Drew, talking like how Giannis was more vocal than he's ever been uh, on the sidelines. It was just it was just really nice to see him get so excited to watch his teammates hit huge shots. I mean, he's he's holler hooting and hollering after Jeff T gets a three. It was uh, it was very heartening to see him out there, even if that's probably not what the doctors want him to do, but it was great. <laughs> Suki Hobson's like a couple of rows back, like, stop, stop with the dancing. Stop dancing already. We're trying to get the, you. Get your ass in yeah. that chair right now. Stop. Yeah, it. put that ice pack back on. We're trying to get you like even halfway right if you want to be a psycho and try and play in the finals. You need to stop with the dancing thing. <laughs> so, okay, we, we have this Eastern Conference 
march that the Bucks have just done for the first time since 1974. Beat the Heat, beat the Nets, beat the Hawks. Kyle, how, how are you feeling about those wins? Was there one that felt more satisfying versus the other? Like, how, how are you feeling about the Bucks' overall march through the Eastern Conference? It's funny because, like, each round has kind of been, like, a different, like, satisfying win. And so, like, after sweeping Miami, like, after Miami gets swept, it's like, oh, it is hilarious to see this team that everyone thought this is the team that's going to stop Giannis, like, 100%. Oh, sorry. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> I'll take over the thoughts. So where where Kyle's going was to talk more shit on the Miami Heat, which I salute because we didn't talk nearly we didn't have enough time to talk shit. If I though was to rank order just in terms of what was most impressive, Nets series number 1 for sure because they were the juggernaut. Yes, it was sort of fluky with like the James Harden three seconds into the game injury and then the Kyrie Irving injury, but you still survive KD going supernova game after game after game. And any bucks of previous years would be like, obviously we're going to lose those games because we don't take that bad of a gut punch and come back from it. So satisfying to see them do that. And then I would say it's tough because the Eastern Conference Finals, you punch your ticket to the finals, so that's pretty meaningful. But it was fun to stunt on the heat in four games, and like there was never a doubt whatsoever. And like I said, throughout the entire Eastern Conference Finals, it just felt like mid-March like regular season games to me. I'm like, they're the Hawks. Who cares about the Hawks? They're not like a real team. Like, okay, Trey Young, but they're not like a real actual team. So I would say narrative justice beating the Heat was number two, and then the Hawks it's mostly about the fact that it was the Eastern Conference Finals and not so much the team. That To me, no disrespect to the Hawks, but like a young team, this is sort of like the Bucks of when Jason Kidd first showed up. It was like, oh, they're like the upstarts, like do way better than anybody expected. They're kind of putting everything together. You're just kind of like, oh, things broke right for them. Um, and it, it, to me, doesn't feel as meaningful as like, oh, we, you know, vanquished this demon of the heat we beat the team that had like the best player in in the playoffs so far in kevin durant and now we're going to the finals is how i would rank things okay yeah so i'll jump back in beating the heat it was just funny because we had to hear again this team is this Giannis stopper like they have all these pieces they're gonna stop Giannis. oh also this was the team that everyone thought Giannis would go to after his contract before he signed the supermax so the fact that they just went in and not just beat them, just just demoralizingly beat them down. Like after game one, it was like game two was a blowout. Game three was a blowout. Game four was kind of close, and then it became a blowout. It was like this team was not even on Milwaukee's level. So that was very satisfying. And then you go into Brooklyn, and it's like, well, you're probably not going to win. But you know what? You give it your best shot. You, sh- I still think you can win, but it's not, you know, losing to this Brooklyn team would not have been as embarrassing as losing to the Heat team or losing to the Hawks. And then they go in and they lose game one. And I was like, okay, yeah, that's what you expect. And then they get embarrassed, just absolutely embarrassed in game two. And I was saying, okay, well, you got to fire Bud. Chris has probably got to get traded. Like, this team ain't it. This team isn't it. That was after game two. And then you scrap by game three. And then, like, you get through game three. And I was like, okay, you didn't get swapped. Cool. Awesome. I'm still not looking. This team does not look great. And then they come out and just blow them out in game four. I was like, all right, back in it. Cool. And you get to game five and they're winning game five. You're like, maybe, maybe I feel good. And then they blow game five. And I was like, (laughs) 
this team ain't shit. I, let me go back to typing my fire Budenholzer article. Like, get ready for mm-hmm. the spring cleaning edition. Like, I had it typed. I'm pretty sure most of it is done. <laughs> so that was kind of ironic. You're still waiting lo- to hit the launch codes on that one. I was <laughs> get any moment. My hand was right on the panic button, ready to be pushed. And then they win game six. And I said, like, these guys are going to win game six, get my hopes up, and then lose game seven because this is the Milwaukee Bucks. And I hate this that this is going to happen. This is a toxic relationship. And then they win game seven. And I was like, oh my God, like this team's it. This is, this team's going to the final. Like this is a destiny team. Kevin Durant, not like the fact that they are centimeters away from being knocked out. I don't know. This team's a team of destiny. And then you, you beat James Harden, who is a absolute bum. And it's kind of hilarious that PJ Tucker gets to the finals. Chris Paul gets to the finals. You know, Clint Capella was close. He would have made the finals if, you know, things had broke. Like, obviously, all these dudes that were with James Harden, they couldn't get it done with him as, like, James Harden as a leader. They just went and found a different team and found a different leader or became the leader themselves. And look at where they are. Further than James Harden is in the postseason because James Harden is an absolute bum. And Blake Griffin is a sandbagging bum. And you beat those two in particular. That was, yeah, I think that's still, like, the pinnacle for me is, like, that Game 7 win on the road against those two bums. And then you face Atlanta, and I felt good about it, but I figured Milwaukee was going to lose a game or two because they were going to be an unseer team because, like Riley said, you're playing like it's a freaking March 8 p.m. NBA TV game, and they lose game one, and you get frustrated. And then they win game two, blow them out. That was great. Win game three in the comeback. And then I, I was more pissed. I was like, this should be 3-0. This series should be 3-0. Like, God damn it. And then they lose game four, and I was like, you know, it would be. I would have felt a lot better of it being 3-1 than 2-2 but you win game five in a blowout sensation and then game six you win i i still think i would go brooklyn game seven is still the top but that game six win against atlanta to a clinch it to get to the finals and b just show like you took a lot of like last ditch effort punches from the hawks and you Still held on. This was when you were not playing well for a whole half. This is when PJ Tucker, who came in to do two things, defend and hit corner threes. And he wasn't doing one of those things. And he then hits it. And it's like all the role players that contribute. So I think game six against Atlanta is still like the number two win for me. And then I don't know what would be on after that. I think game like game four against Miami would probably be third. But it's just like feeling like more and more like maybe this team isn't the same old Milwaukee Bucks that we have been so accustomed to. And that could be, like PJ Tucker says, they're dogs. And now I'm starting to actually believe, like, this team might be able to do something special in the NBA Finals. I still don't know if they'll win, but at the very least, they are not going to go out like suckers. And they made the Finals. So, you know, we are now playing with house money with them making the NBA Finals. They were, I mean, they were... Basically challenged and demand by PJ Tucker in his post game press conference after Game Four, they were like, he basically said this was inexcusable. This is one of like absolutely embarrassing. We didn't really get platitudes from him like we might in, in years past, which was which was good to see. Um, I, I I would also put the Nets number one. I like we, like we're saying no shade on the Hawks. Like 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 you said, Riley, young team. They have solid players. Like they have a made some crazy shots, some ridiculous shots in this series. They shot like 50% from mid-range on 16 attempts per game, which is nuts. Like, they gave it a wholehearted effort, but it was – we also don't have history. We have no history with this team. 
Like, and it's just a little bit harder to, to gin up the, the narrative juice that we were able to get from the first round against the heat where there's, you know, the bucks decide not to tank or anything as they go down the stretch. And then all of a sudden they're like, yeah, no, we want to face the heat and pundits like, I don't know, kind of the heat knocked you out last year. Are you going to be able to do it? And then we blow their doors off. The Nets series didn't seem like we were going to win. I mean, they're down 0-2 and they look like chop liver to even after game three, we all kind of presume, eh, I don't know if they'll be able to do it. And then just to, you know, they're doing things that no other Bucks team would do. They won in six, which no other team seemingly was able to do. They won in six. They won on the road in a game seven, which other Bucks teams have, have not been able to do. They're, they're going to be up against it in the finals. Bucks teams historically do not win in Phoenix. So we're going to have to see them be able to buck that trend as well, pardon the pun, and see if they're able to do that. So it's been a really enjoyable run. I'm really excited for this team. And I would I would also like to open up the floor to Kyle. I know you were talking about the, the bums of the playoffs and as our resident bum expert, did, did anyone on the Hawks rise to bum level status for you? I mean, Bogdan is always going to be a bum. <laughs> I mean, mm-hmm. you you weasel your way out of going to Milwaukee. This could have been you. You We could have been giving you all the plaudits in the world for how you played. And you decide you want a little bit more money. And between you, your agent, and Woj, and Woj is still a bum. Even though he is a decent human and will call out people on their bullshit, he is still a bum. Bogdan definitely moves up to bum territory. Danilo Gallinari definitely moved up to bum territory. Like, this guy thinks he is the his shit don't stink. He's over here trying to ISO everyone on the Bucks. He's doing all these fadeaways. He's living at the free throw line. He's, I mean, he didn't flop that much, which was nice. But this guy just thinks he's better than he is. It's like, no, there's a reason why I every time he shot the ball, I felt good. Because I'd rather you take those shots than John Collins, than Kevin Herter, than even even Bogdan. Bogdan can shoot the ball well. He's just a bum because of how he got to Atlanta in the first place. So Daniil Gallinari and Bogdan are definitely bums. Woj is still a bum. <laughs> Always will be a bum. Um Let's I go back. Let's let's circle back. James Harden and Blake Griffin one more I time, mean, please. Yeah, James Harden's always been a bum. Always will be a bum. Blake Griffin is a sandbagging bum. Most of <laughs> Miami Heat are bums. Yeah, I mean, the nice thing, the thing with the Hawks though is, I think Trey Young like embraced being the villain when he was playing against the Hawks and the Sixers. But at the same time, it's like you're not really the villain when you're playing those two teams. Like, no one truly dislikes you if you piss off New York Knicks fans. No one truly dislikes you if you piss off Philly fans. If anything, that just makes you more endearing. So, I mean, Trey Young, like, doing the shimmy and all this stuff, was like, okay, you're trying to get a rise out of Milwaukee. And maybe some Bucks fans did get really annoyed by it. But at the same time, it's like, yeah, you're not going to get the same level of animosity doing against the Bucks that you would against the Knicks. And so don't do that, Trey Young. You're you're better than that, I think. I will Oh, actually, I do have one last bum. The personal take Euro style fouls. Bum 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 style fouls. I want that rule eliminated. I don't care if it means the team gets 2 points and the ball I don't care, like, if they get free throws. Like, I don't care how you need – that rule needs to change because that was absolute. the reason why the Bucs didn't blow out the Hawks multiple times is because they would just do that stupid, bum, cowardly foul. So that foul rule, that is also a bum. 
The uh, the only bum that Kyle missed was Kevin Herter, and the only reason he's getting a miss is because Dante wasn't out there. If Dante was out there, I know Dante would have put him in hell. He would have had him wishing he was drafted by the Sacramento Kings, but in this case, he avoids it, and he still goes out there and misses every shot, so Kevin Herter also gets added to the list. I mean, that's if you had higher expectations for Kevin Herter. Like, Kevin <laughs> well, Herter's I mean, a fine player. Like, he's a fine player to have. Like, if he was on this Bucks team, he'd be a great guy off, to have off the bench. He'd be similar to a Pat Connaughton. So, you know what? Whatever. You're you're just there. Like, the only mm-hmm. reason why we even have to continue doing this is because you were drafted after Dante. It's whatever. Yeah, I guess if Dante had shut him down, I would have called him a bum. But it's like, you're just there. Like, I have no beef with you. Like, I don't give a shit about who you are. <laughs> I would. It was hard to get super annoyed with any Hawks player. I mostly was just annoyed with Cam Reddish having outlier shooting performances repeatedly. I, I think I don't know if Reggie Miller is related to Cam Reddish or anything. He seems to sing his praises every single time he was on the court. Reggie seemed to be a, a large fan of Cam Reddish, which I I found just to be a little bit annoying uh, during the broadcast as well. But um, you know, the other thing I wanted to talk about was. Bucks finally break through. They make the finals. Are there are there any sort of narratives that we feel like this will put to bed or at least settle down? You know, some of them like obviously Coach Bud. Coach Bud is a huge one. I, I think we should talk about Coach Bud and his performance throughout the postseason. I don't know, Riley. How, how do you think making the finals will change his perception at all across the league or among Bucks fans? Mm. Very little. Uh, <laughs> part of uh, part of what's difficult about assessing this Bucks run in like the aggregate is a lot of it does feel a little fluky. Now you have to still execute even when things start getting fluky. So and there have been points of like, okay, he's running his starters more. He has instituted a slight defensive change that we're switching. But a lot of that still feels conceptually like low hanging fruit. Of like, if I was the coach, I'd be like. Hey guys, can you play more minutes? I would be doing the same exact thing. And it did feel like in game four, it was like, are we being a little cutesy with like, are we trying to get like our starters some rest now that we feel like we're going to win the series anyhow? So there's still like, oh, Bud's still doing Bud things. Like just win the games now and then you can rest the guys at the end of the game. Um, I think at this point, it seems like he's probably saved his job. It would be, even if we crashed out in four against the Suns, I think it would be very strange or out of like character for the ownership team to still can him. Uh, but I'm not sure I would say that my perception is like massively changed on the guy. Still seems like he has his shortcomings. He just happens to have made enough like low hanging fruit decisions that are like, oh, let's just play the guys more or oh. What if he had something other than a, a literal singular defense to run? And you do have to make those changes, so credit there. But it's not like this Budenholzer is a massively different guy from the guy that we've had for the past, whatever, two seasons before that. Yeah, I kind of agree where it's like, I don't, I think Budenholzer will keep his job, but he'll be on there. Like, if the Bucks do just get embarrassed, he will at least be on thin ice where if you don't, if things don't go well to start the next year, or if, like, a knockout candidate, coaching candidate, I don't know who that would be. If they were available, then he would be gone. But, I mean, Budenholzer did the things that we kept asking him to do. We asked him, stop running one stop running one type of defense. Stop doing just a zone drop. Do more switching. He did that. Play your starters more minutes. 
he did that. Like the things that we asked Boonholzer to do, the adjustments we asked him to make, he has made. So at the very least, we know he is capable of doing it. I don't think, yeah, I don't think it necessarily changes my perception of him. I think it at least shows me that he can do it when he needs to, which is something that we wouldn't have said last year or the year before. Like, we, I at least know he can do the things. I don't think his job is, like, bulletproof at this point. I think it's at least safer than it was. I just, it, it, nothing has necessarily changed, but I do appreciate the adjustments that he has made because the adjustments he has made have paid off. And that's good to see that there is a coach that is willing to do that. A different narrative, I guess like the biggest narrative would probably be Chris Middleton and Drew Holiday, where we've, we, and I, by mean, we, I mean, Bucks fans have been going back and forth for the last like six years. Is Chris Middleton a good enough as a number two to be a champion for a championship team? And B should he have got like, what is Chris Middleton? And at the very least, we at least know this is a guy that has his faults. And sometimes he's too passive. And sometimes he makes a lot of dumb decisions. And he should not be, you know, a primary ball handler facilitating the offense. But when you need buckets, this guy can do it. And I think that's very good. And I think it at least showed that if you give them enough of a head start, the Bucks can go with a team led by Chris Middleton and win games. Maybe not. It probably won't win championships. But if Giannis were to have had suffered that awful knee injury, I think the Bucks would have been like a five or six seed in the East next year. I think that would have been. I think that would have been a relative expectation. Like I said, these him and Drew, you expect them to win most of these games because they're still better than most teams. So I think with Chris, at least it quieted the narrative of he can't. He can definitely be a number two on a championship team with Giannis. As Drew Holiday proving that the trade was worth it. Like we had said, like if the biggest reason you make this trade is because you need to get over the hump and get further than you had before. And we knew Eric Bledsoe wasn't it. Like the furthest you can go with Eric Bledsoe is maybe Eastern Conference Finals. With Drew, you at least get to the finals. You prove that the trade works. Who cares about what the draft pick is going to be at this point? Because it's probably going to be somewhere in the low 20s, maybe even 30, 32 or 30, whatever. So you at least know like it's worth the trade. The contract extension is probably still worth it because he is still good for the team overall. So I think Drew Holiday proving his worth. And John Horace. I think John Horace now, I'm, I'm still not going to say he's like, all oh, this great executive. But he has hit. Uh, all of his moves to set up this current roster were all hit. He got DJ Augustine, didn't work out, shipped him off with DJ Wilson, who didn't work, shipped him off as well to get PJ Tucker. Like that alone is a ridiculous upgrade. He did try getting booked on. Didn't work. That's fine. I mean, he just used the pieces. He stuck with Dante. Dante, for the most part, at least proved his worth. That was good. He gets Drew Holiday. That worked out. It's just like every move that John Horst made this season, getting Bobby Portis on such a cheap deal, getting Bryn Forbes on such a cheap deal, bringing back Hakonate, which initially looked like this was a bad deal. Every move that he has made to get the current roster as is has worked. And I think John Horst probably... I think John Horst, out of anyone, gets the biggest like boost from this run that the Bucks made. Yeah, I agree. I think Horst, Horst, obviously, we had to we kind of we had to wait a long time to see how the moves were going to play up, pay off in the playoffs, right? So he he makes these moves. We're all excited to see how it turns out, and even a fringe move like Bobby Portis. That's one where okay, Bobby Portis has been good all season for us. Is he going to deliver in the playoffs? Came through in game five. I mean, that's basically what you sign a guy for near the minimum for uh, is 
if they come through and he helped win you a playoff game. I mean, that's, that's massive. And obviously he showed at least some proclivity to be able to, to manage that switching system as, as well when Bud moved to that. So uh, good on Bobby Portis, good, good pickup by Horst. Obviously the PJ Tucker move probably is the, is really the only reason, the main reason you won the net series. So, I mean, the moves have, have really paid off this season for John Horst. So I definitely agree. That's, that's someone who's going to come away from this this postseason run with a, a lot of shine. Anyone? Else, anything else for you, Riley? Um, I don't. I, I guess it it all comes down to how do we do in the finals. I think it, you know we'll look back once the dust settles. I was you know writing this on my Monday morning media roundup column. It's like it, it'll be fun going back once the dust settles and like assessing just how good a lot of the role players were because uh, so many years in the past would be like, well, we can expect literally nobody to show up besides like George Hill. And in this run so far, we've gotten a lot of great performances from people, but there's still the tension of what comes next. You know, it, it, can you really bring it home for the net for four more games and like really cement everything? Um, so right now it's tough for me to fully assist because if we go out sad in the finals, you know, it would be kind of a downer to everything else that you guys just brought up. Um, but if we do win, I think that's it's obviously a huge shift. There's so much to this team where we play like idiots still and we're not necessarily like a crisp, super intelligent team, but we can brute force our way to wins and we can uh, let Chris go supernova and all these sorts of things. So um, I I think it's still, there's so much that we're going to look back on and be proud of this team. Um, But until we see what the final results are in the finals, I think it's going to be tough to say this guy has definitively changed his, uh, you know, his reputation, his perception in my mind. So a lot of good things so far. Let's see if we can do it when it really matters most for like four games here in the coming two weeks. Speaking of those coming two weeks, we're going to take a quick break here. And then on the other side of this, we'll do a brief preview of the Phoenix finals series. So stay tuned. All right, we're back. Bucks are facing the Phoenix Suns, who obviously are looking for their uh, first championship in franchise history. In terms of the regular season matchups, only one point losses each time around for the Bucks. In their February 10th one, they lost 125 to 124. No Drew Holiday in that one. And then in April, with mostly the, the current constructions of the teams as, as they are now, uh, Bucks lost 128 to 127 in OT. You may remember there's a last second foul. Uh, that PJ Tucker had on Devin Booker. Um, that was uh, rather frustrating in that one. But obviously, Phoenix has marched through the West. Kyle, they beat Lakers in six, Nuggets in four, Clippers in six. They have Chris Paul, Devin Booker, two mid-range artists. They're they're a pretty complete team. They've had the second best defense in the postseason. Uh, any initial thoughts on how you think Milwaukee matches up with them? I think it's weird because. I think Phoenix is, they are a very good team. Like, even if Milwaukee didn't make the final, like, I think Phoenix was still one of the better teams, and they proved that in the regular season. But just how there's no glaring weakness with the team. Like, when the Bucks play the Heat, I was like, okay, the Heat aren't really that good. That is their glaring weakness. With the Nets, it was, you're relying on James Harden not be a bum. But you can be you. They can't defend as well. You can still get your points in the paint against them. With the Hawks, it was kind of the same thing. It's like Trey Young might hurt you, but there's not a lot of other players on the Hawks that necessarily strike enough fear for you to worry about. And you can still score at will in the paint with them. Phoenix is not really like that. Like they have guys that could 
kind of mask over some of those issues. They still have the talent. Like between Chris Paul and Devin Booker and DeAndre Ayton, there's still talent there. There's not really defensively, they have been one of the best teams in the postseason. And a lot of that is the team that they're playing as well. I feel like, you know, the Lakers is kind of just like a two horse team, which they're two really good horses, but you can at least focus on that. But the Nuggets, they weren't going to be the same without Jamal Murray. But then with the Clippers, with I mean, Paul George played well. But I think it'll be interesting to see how Milwaukee's offense can do. Because Chris Paul is probably going to be on Drew Holiday. And Chris Paul is going to annoy the living hell out of the Bucks. He's between his craftiness, his ability to nag on the refs. Like, Chris Paul is going to annoy the Bucks. Devin Booker, I feel like, is going to be the one where... If you put Drew Holiday or Chris Middleton on him, making his life hell is going to be the key. I Phoenix is very, very good. But with a healthy Giannis, I feel a lot better about Milwaukee's odds than I would have you know, going into the postseason. I think this team has shown they might have figured things out. And if they don't win game one, they'll try and make adjustments for game two. At least they'll try and do something different instead of just going with the, oh, well, we just didn't, you know, it didn't work out this time, so we'll just do the same thing and hope for the best. Like, no, they're going to actually try something different. So I think the biggest question is going to be which team's bench shows up and does something special between, like, the bench and role players like McCall Bridges, Cameron Payne. Um, I don't know if Frank Kaminsky is going to play. I kind of hope so because then the Bucks can exploit that. Uh, our old friend Tory Craig. Like, just a lot of the guys in the Hawks. Jay Crowder is another one to watch out for. Like, how those role players try and help out Phoenix compared to like with Milwaukee. Can Bryn Forbes not be useless and hit some shots this series? That'd be great. That'd be a great start. Is Pat Connaughton continuing to make the hustle plays that don't show up in the box score, but is he going to make enough of those plays to help Milwaukee? Is Thanos is going to come in and punch someone in the face? Who knows? A lot of these questions are going to be interesting. If Giannis does come back, how does Bobby Portis's role change and how effective is he going to be where at least with the starters, he was like, you didn't like, there were so many other players that they had to focus on. It made it difficult for them to defend just Bobby while with the bench, he might be that guy. So how I think the biggest question is whose role players will step up more. Cause I think with a healthy honest, Milwaukee's three should be enough to match or surpass Phoenix's top three in Aiden, Paul and Booker. Yeah, I'm going into the series assuming Giannis plays. I know people are going to have misgivings about that because it's like, oh, is he going to injure himself? Hey, man, you only get to the NBA Finals if you're the Milwaukee Bucks, apparently once every half century. So if you're Giannis and your like legacy is on the line and it's been somewhat fluky, all the injuries to get you here, I think he's going to suit up, you know, injury risk or otherwise. He's like, you know, what's it going to matter? Because next year we're going to run into like the full Brooklyn Nets and it's not going to matter. So I think Giannis will play whether or not he's fully healthy. We'll have to see. It's hard for me to like get a read because Chris Paul is so much more intelligent of a basketball player than anybody the Bucks have. <laughs> like, And that's not to say that we have a lot of dumb players, but it's just like the way that we play is not super crisp all the time. It, the, like think of how much trouble we got against like Trey Young before he injured himself, right? A, a point guard who is manipulating the whole offense, literally every shot essentially goes through him, whether or not he's the one taking it or he's setting up other guys. Now take the IQ of Trey Young and turn it up like a thousand points. And that's what you're getting with a Chris Paul type. And 
we have enough flexibility defensively where maybe we could respond and we're not going to be predictable. But like, think of that second game against Phoenix where like Chris Paul, the final couple of possessions, it was just him putting Brooke Lopez in a cell for like four minutes straight. And it was tough to watch. And that might be something that happens literally the entire series. But if Giannis plays, I know DeAndre Ayton is on some sort of redemption tour. Until I see something other than like traffic cone defense from him on Giannis, I'm not going to believe him as like a, I think Giannis averaged like 40 points against the Suns in both games. I'm not going to believe in DeAndre Ayton or anybody on this roster. I'm looking through the roster. Very similar to the Sun or the Hawks. Who the hell on here has any sort of size to try and stop Giannis and or Brooke? Like, I know we're saying that DeAndre Ayton has like, you know, he's closer in size to Brooke, but he's not like, to me, a great defensive player. And then we have to rely on, do we have enough veterans and enough skill and enough experience and does it outside of Chris Paul, does the youth and inexperience in a general sense of Phoenix show through in the finals, but it's so hard right now to predict one, because we don't know about Giannis and two, uh, run aside. We still do a lot of like silly, stupid, unserious basketball stuff, uh, like watching, uh, a lot of credit to Chris and Drew in the final and game six, but there were in the fourth quarter. This is like, let's have a competition for who can have the most like lazy, stupid turnover here with the game on the line. There's just too much of that for me to say confidently and go in. We're going to like, I, I can believe that we're going to win. It, it's the Bucks, man. I have no idea. They could, at this point, they've cheated death so many times that they could do it again, but until proven otherwise, they're still the, the Milwaukee Bucks. I, I have to default on that position, unfortunately. There's a lot of interesting tactical matchups that Giannis will make probably a little easier depending on how he's actually playing. Whether Bud opts to try out the drop coverage, obviously probably bringing up Brooke a little bit higher to the point of the screen. Uh, hopefully he, he will have learned from game one against against the Hawks when Trey Young was able to get going in that regard. The Suns are a team that love the mid-range. They're, they're taking like the highest percentage of shots from the mid-range. They were the number one shooting team, short and long mid-range, per cleaning the glass in the regular season. So they're going to be able to hit those shots. They're going to be able to make those shots. They're the shots that they want. If they're switch, if the Bucks opt to switch one through five from the outset, could be kind of interesting. Obviously, we saw Chris Paul take Brook Lopez off the bounce and hit pull-up mid-rangers over him in the latter stages of some of those games. I didn't think it was that bad of defense by Brooke. I mean, he's doing his best out there for a big guy, and he got, like, decent contests. Chris Paul's just really, really good at those. You know, the, the real issue for me is if they're doing some of those switching one through five, I do think Chris Paul's savvy enough that he's going to constantly be like, okay, who's Bobby Who's 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 Bobby Portis on right now? Bring that guy up and screen mm-hmm. for me. And doing that repeatedly, I think that I'm a little bit worried about that for sure. Um, I think... Jay Crowder just scares me. I mean, he's shooting 36.9% from three in the playoffs, but we all saw him shoot 45% last year, average like 15 points in the series. That, that was just absolutely terrifying. And the the only thing that I found, I was looking through the stats, the only thing that I found that I was like, okay, Phoenix isn't that good at this, is preventing teams from getting to the rim. So they're, they're allowing the highest percentage of shots at the rim in the playoffs so far. So like 35%. Now they are they they have been better at the rim defending it. So they're at about they're only allowing about 60 percent shooting at the rim, which is kind of crazy. But part of that, you know, the Lakers didn't have Anthony Davis. That was a little mucked up. I don't know what happened with the Nuggets team. They seem to just completely fall apart 
and, and a small ball Clippers lineup isn't necessarily going to be as as good as as the Bucks are going to be. Obviously, this is a, that's a situation where boy, it would be good to have Giannis being able to attack the rim, given the average. You know, he had forty seven points in one of these games. So that's the only thing that I was like, oh, okay, Milwaukee might have an advantage there. But I, I think it's just all going to come down to can the defense hold up? Can the defense that Bud has really been able to turn into the postseason's best? That's been the thing that's carried the team the entire postseason and really throughout all of Bud's run. It's been, it's been really good the entire time. It's more versatile than ever this year. How is that going to do against Chris Paul and Devin Booker? If they're able to to snuff out some of those actions, can they maintain enough discipline off ball as well? Because we know Phoenix is a, is a really creative offensive team. So it's just a, it's a series where they have to be as locked in as possible defensively and just hope that they can find some ways to get to the glass, find some ways to keep attacking the rim the same way they have and, and hope that some of the threes might start to fall because otherwise it could be a, it, it could be a difficult series because Phoenix is Phoenix is really good. I, uh, all I know is the Milwaukee Bucks, I know the team is probably listening to this on their flights. I know they probably already arrived in Phoenix, but they're training, they're getting ready, they're listening to the podcast. We cannot let Frank Kaminsky get a ring. We can't do that. Everybody look your teammates in the eyes and say, are we going to be the team that lets Frank Kaminsky, a guy whose nickname is Frank the Tank, like a five-year-old, are we going to let him get a ring? Are we going to let Tory Craig, who bailed on us, this dude, he swindled us. Are we going to let him get a ring? Apparently we are because every player <laughs> gets, gets a ring regardless. <laughs> I'm not giving, if I'm the Bucks, I'm like, we're breaking that. We're not giving Tory Craig a ring. He's not getting a ring. If, we, if that's a problem we have to deal with, we got much better things going on than having to worry. But I'm not going to be the one that lets Frank Kaminsky get a ring. That's not happening. I know he probably won't play at all, but it just philosophically, you can't let that happen if you're the Bucks. I just want the Bucks to not embarrass themselves. That's all I'm asking. Like, if you lose, lose with some goddamn honor. Like, do not go out sad like you did against Toronto where you lost four straight. Do not go out like you did against Miami where you just looked completely overwhelmed. Like, just be respectable. If you're going to lose, lose with honor, lose in seven, lose on their home court, and lose because, like, someone hit, like, a full-court shot and that just miraculously went it. Like, lose with honor if you're going to lose. Otherwise, win the damn thing. Like, you've gotten this far. You've conquered a lot of demons. This is probably – I don't know. I'm not going to say it's your only chance to make the NBA Finals, but this is your best chance to win a championship. This is your best chance. So take advantage of it. And credit to this team as well. This whole run, outside of Game Two against the Nets, they have played mostly. If you if you can measure honor, uh, most of the games have been competitive. Besides, like when Giannis went out with an injury, but they they've been scrappy the whole time. Yes, they played dumb in like clutch situations, but they played smart enough to be able to survive those clutch situations. And that's a skill that we have not had in the past. So, so for the Bucks' optimist point of view, uh, this does spiritually feel like a different team from the previous Bucks iterations, even if it is just a, and it's not just a change with just true. That's a big change there, but like the bench feels a little bit more locked in. Uh, Boonholzer isn't necessarily just like watching his team suffocate and be like, well, take a couple more threes guys, let it fly. We'll get out of this one. It feels like he's being a little bit more on hands than that. Uh, It would be a real shame if, if we have all these things like, oh, we could we could go inside a whole bunch, and it's just like Giannis taking nine threes. 
that'd be a bit of a downer. But uh, as long as they don't do that, I will be happy no matter what, because I wouldn't have guessed that we would have gotten to the finals in the first place. And here we are. So I should, you know, I'm ecstatic as it is to be here at all. Yeah, same here. It feels like the the, the turning point when it felt different is I don't think I'll ever feel worse than when we just went down by five against the Brooklyn Nets in game seven in the waning minutes. Like when James Harden banked in a three and five points felt like a 30 point lead, given how that series mm-hmm. was going. And, and if they somehow pulled that out, I, th- I was like, okay, this is at least this is this team is not same old bucks, thankfully. And who knows, maybe they'll continue that momentum into the finals. I'm generally going in. I don't have a prediction yet. Um, we'll, we'll probably be running a roundtable on this site where you can go and check out what our predictions will be. But um, I'll give a prediction: Bucks and seven because I'm illogical and damn it, I'm not going to pick against the Bucks when they make the freaking final. So Bucks and seven. Oh wow! Okay, Riley, do you have a prediction? <laughs> do you want to? Do you want to think? Uh, uh, hell, man! Kyle just threw down the gauntlet. You guys don't need to give a prediction, but that is going to be the prediction I put in the roundtable. I just desperately so I, I'll say because we've made it this far and what the fuck uh, I'll say the Bucks win as well uh, and I hope they do it on the home floor so I hope they win in six games I, they're not going to sweep the, the Suns I just cannot imagine that happening but I just hope they win it on the home floor so I hope Bucks uh, win it in six games so we can it's so that Milwaukee can literally just burn to the ground out of joy It'll just be <laughs> we can just eliminate the city at that point we'll have come full circle so I'll say Bucks in six games okay well I'm I guess I'll have to do it now I was leaning Phoenix in six I don't feel that great about the series <laughs> but I just I don't want to end it like that so just either of you anything else before we close it out with Kyle's film review anything else okay before we wait on Kyle's film review till next week just anything else you want to say about this particular Bucks run just in case the finals don't go well. I mean, 47 years since we last made it to the finals. Kyle, it's, what's it mean to you? I mean, I the regular season was a slog. It was brutal. It was miserable. I hated the regular season. But this postseason has been a lot of fun. And I think it's one of those where... It's go- I'm going to look back and be very happy about this postseason. As, like I said, as long as I don't look completely embarrassed, I will at least be like, this was a good season. You know, the past couple of years, it's been, man, this team probably could have won this whole thing if they had just done like X, Y, and Z a little bit better. In 2019, man, they really could have won that. They could have won the title if they had if things had just gone differently in game three. And all the other years before that, where it's like, this team is just not good enough. And now it's like, this team is good enough. I've seen that this team is good enough. They made the freaking finals. They beat the Brooklyn Nets. Like this team is good enough to win a title. And now I can at least I can look at it and be like, all right, I feel better about going into next year because going into this year, it was like, oh god, is Giannis going to resign to Supermax? Crap! What if he doesn't? What kind of apocalyptic situation are we going to be in? Okay, he signs to Supermax. Cool. At least that's secure. But I don't. I still don't feel great about this team. Now Brooklyn's doing all these things. Philly looks somewhat competent, even though they're still led by a bum in Ben Simmons. Like it was very, I was very much dreading the regular season, but once we got to the postseason, I was like, all right, I'm locked in. I'm ready to watch this team, and so far it's been fun. So I think that's probably my closing thought: is I'm going to try and enjoy the fact that the Bucks are in the NBA Finals because at the current rate, I'm probably going to be close to freaking 80 years old the next time they go, and tickets will probably be. 30 times more expensive than they are now. And I can't wait. I'm going to game three. I'm super excited for that. So I'm going to try and enjoy this as much as I can. And when the Bucks lose, I will still be very much annoyed that they lost. 
my final thoughts are uh, it's a special thing to be a small market in the NBA and to make it to the NBA finals, no matter how you do it. Uh, it's been a very long road. Uh, I kind of jumped aboard during the fear of the deer season. So I haven't been around, you know, like a light, a lot of lifelong Bucks fans to watch just some really shitty basketball. Great time over the five over the five decades. <laughs> yeah, over the past five decades, that's a lot. Of, I think it's a credit to the team for uh, having some luck in getting Giannis, uh, the kind of guy that Giannis is that he's stuck around. You have to make the moves on the margins. Yes, there's a bit of luck that goes into it, but to me, I, I think it's special. I'm, I do hope Giannis suits up because I want. Giannis to have the chance to play in an NBA finals. I'm not sure. There's a chance we, you know, it's like Dirk Nowitzki. He got there one time. There, this might be the one shot that the Bucks have. And even if they don't win, I hope they do. I, I think they'll be competitive. I hope the games are good, all that. It'll just be special to be like, we are at the pinnacle of the sport that only two out of these 30 teams in a league that a lot of things are structured towards the teams who can s- suck up as many stars as possible to get there is a credit to the entire team. It's a credit to Giannis for having stuck around and having turned into the player he is. It's a credit to Chris for having continued to improve and be the second banana to the team, to Mike Boonholzer for adjusting enough. There's a lot of guys who should feel proud about things. And regardless of how the series goes, we're going to have proof that the Bucks made it to the NBA Finals. And in, if after two weeks we also have proof that we won the NBA Finals, it would be... So outside the realm of Bucks fan possibility that it's almost hard to like fathom. So we'll see how it goes in the next two weeks. But I'm just proud of the team, and it, it does make being a fan all worthwhile to go on a run and get to the pinnacle. Yeah, it's it's awesome to be able to share this with all the brew people who have been around forever, talk basketball with all these people for so long who've been through God so many seasons. I, I like Riley. I came to it a little later. Obviously, I, I was watching the old run run, and then I kind of you know pieced out for a little while. But just really, really cool to see this team. Their particular arc weren't there. Definitely weren't shortcuts that they took. They basically we all had to go through the pain of 2019. We had to go through the pain of the Jason Kidd years, the 15 win season, the the getting knocked down, the embarrassment that was the Heat series, and basically the narrative hanging over this team for the entire year after where no one believed in them, basically discounted them until they got to the playoffs and they wanted to see if they could make it count. Well, they did. They delivered in ways that I never thought the team would. So it's just been a pure joy to be able to see this team deliver at this level, at this stage, happy for all the players, happy for all the fans that have stuck around. Very cool to see all the support in Deer District, support on Brew Hoop. Uh, the, the numbers for this podcast have gone up. So if anyone new is listening, thank you for listening. And uh, we're going to keep the ride going. Go to brewhoop.com for all our coverage of the finals. We'll have more podcasts throughout the finals. Uh, follow us on Twitter for maybe even if you're a new follower, scroll through the Twitter feed as well on Brewhoop. There's some, uh, there's some enjoyable <laughs> stuff there that you'll get a good time out of. So thank you to everyone for listening. And uh, we will talk to you again soon. <laughs>